So have you ever wondered what your accountant and bookkeeper really thinks? How about tapping into that wealth of expertise to gain an understanding of the transition between 2020 to 2021 and the potential impact on your small business? Last week, I was lucky enough to be invited by Receipt Bank to moderate a panel of such experts, tapping into the knowledge, the expertise, the opinions from three giants of the accounting and bookkeeping world. With hundreds of small businesses between them, this panel brought with them not only a diagnosis on 2020, but a prognosis for 2021. 2021 surely is going to be an important year for businesses as they look to bounce back and maintain consistent growth. But for this to be possible, these businesses will need brilliant, business-minded accounting accountants supporting them. Stuart Brandman from 452 Partners, Rebecca Lout from The Business Organiser and Kaya Kaldoja from Blue Rock Books discussed the ongoing challenges from their industry in 2021 and how cloud accounting technology will and can support businesses prepare for success. So let's have a listen to what they have to say and what we can learn from these experts. Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the community radio network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate and small business owner. Let's meet today's guests. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to what I'm sure will be a very interesting and definitely topical discussion where you'll hear from a talented bunch of passionate, respected accounting and bookkeeping professionals. Uh, Let's begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the country on which we meet today. For me, that's the Darug and Gurungai people and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. So who are we hearing from today? We're hearing from your peers, experienced industry experts here to share their 2020 journey, what a journey it was, and how it will shape 2021 and beyond. What did the upheaval mean for their practice, their clients, and crucially, what role did a cloud technology implementation play in that change? 2021 is sure going to be an important year for businesses as they look to bounce back and maintain consistent growth. But for this to be possible, these businesses will need brilliant business-minded accountants and bookkeepers supporting them, just like you guys who are listening today. My name is Alexi Boyd, and as the conversation curator, I create engaging and conversational content with your expert guests through panel moderation, interviews, and fair and equitable discussions. Now, before we get into this great discussion, let's first cover housekeeping. There'll be an opportunity to ask expert panel questions on their experience in the industry so far and what tech they've used to get them ahead of the game. We'll be asking questions at the end, but as they pop into your head, please add them to the Q&A box because this discussion is being recorded and will be available to watch later on in the month. We're going to pick up on your questions as we go, but most likely towards the end as well. If you know of anyone who's missing today's broadcast, then please keep an eye on Receipt Bank socials for more information when it's going to be rebroadcast again. And we're also going to be um, listening to this on Small Biz Matters this week uh, coming up on my radio show on Tuesday. So let's get started and learn about our guests. Rebecca Lout is the director at The Business Organiser. She's a cloud software specialist who who supports businesses in the design and implementation of cloud technology platforms. Her work is focused on proving business overall efficiency, increasing insight across their financial performance. Recently, Rebecca led the technology component of PwC's outsourced finance solution before moving on to build out a new tech advisory offering in her family business, The Business Organiser. 
In her previous roles with global accounting platform Zero, Rebecca was at the forefront of technology disruption, having exposure to global markets and fast-paced growths when the organisation went from startup to international to tech, darling. Kaya Kaloja is the director of Blue Rock Books, and Kaya, feel free to correct me on my, my pronunciation of your last name there. Um, she joined Blue Rock in 2018 as their superhero head of bookkeeping, but her origin story is a little bit different to most superheroes. She got her first taste of bookkeeping life by helping her parents painstakingly enter stock orders one by one into an ancient point of sale system. This is where Kaya's love of all things process, automation, and cloud system integration came from. She gets really excited about new software and cutting-edge business technologies that make life easier for clients. Stuart Brandman is the director at 542 Partners, having worked in a mid-tier accounting firms for nearly 10 years prior to founding 542. Stuart has worked along with a range of businesses in financial accounting, advisory, taxation and business planning. He specialises in providing virtual CFO services and real business solutions to advice his clients. From implementing the appropriate accounting software, providing accounting and business advice, and conducting strategy sessions, he has an impressive skill set. And all those things are going to combine to make what's going to be a really awesome discussion today. So first of all, let's hear from each of our experts. I think it's really important when we've got a bunch of really experienced people in the room that we hear a little bit about them to learn what makes them a bit different. That way, when you're constructing your your questions, you can really ask uh, pinpointed questions for each of them and, and target the person you want to ask. Um, so, Stuart, let's hear from you first. Tell me a little bit about the practice, uh, say, number of clients or the size of the practice and what sort of things you specialise in. Yeah, thanks, Alexi. Uh, so, Bible to partners, we're about seven and a half, touching on eight years old. Um, we, we're a uh, Blessed to start on the, on the cloud journey um, with the zero stack of software, implementing Receipt Bank from day one. And uh, we've got now a team of 15, 16, two new people starting in, in February, so it's going to take us to our 18. Um, so we, we've grown quite quickly on the back of that journey, uh, but also the service model that we offer where we're, we're largely fixed fee. Um, we try and implement uh, effective and, and efficient software solutions for our clients and then couple that with advice-based services. So uh, that's been our journey. Uh, we, we have a young and enterprising team full of talented people and we try and make sure that they're, they're given as much exposure to a similar top services as we're the director level offer. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Kaya, what about you? What uh, industry do you specialise in and, and how do you work with your clients? Um, so obviously I'm part of a, um, a division, Plurock Books, which is part of a bigger group called Plurock. Um, Plurock itself is an entrepreneurial with um, 11 specialized divisions. And so we work together actually with a lot of small and medium-sized uh, businesses in every aspect um, of business, such as accounting, digital, finance, law, and so on. Um Overall, obviously, over the last 10 years, we've grown into a business um, which employs around 200 staff members. Plural Books itself, bookkeeping is a um, fairly newly established division, part of it. Um, obviously, we're part of accounting division before, and we've got around 14, 15 employees at the moment. Um, we don't really focus on industry as such, um, but what we do love is to work together with entrepreneurs and um, business owners who really are keen to grow their businesses into a, a vow business. Um, and we want to obviously provide them services along the way and technology as well to make sure that they, they succeed. So technology and like Stuart's team as well, smart tech savvy team um, are the key words how I would describe um, our team or our business. 
Awesome. Thank you. And Rebecca, you come from a, a little bit of a, a software background. What's, what, how has that, um, I guess, in, helped you engage with clients in a, in a different way? Yeah, so um, about 15 years ago, uh, my family business, the business organizer, started. Um, not long after that, um, I got involved in, in the business um, at the time doing POS implementation and accounting software implementation. Was very lucky to be in the very early stages of Zero coming into the country. Um, and then not long after, I got asked to join the Zero team. And I spent many years talking to bookkeepers and accountants about the journey to the cloud. I was also lucky enough to go to the UK and understand a little bit what the global aspect of cloud accounting was um, changing in regards to the way that advisors were working with clients. Um, and I've been lucky to have both the software experience as well as the, the client experience, which has kind of led me back into technology consulting. So we're a small firm. Um, we effectively are just key, key two directors, um, a set of bookkeepers in our team, and then we work with external contractors depending on the types of engagements we are going through. One of the fantastic things is we have a fantastic community of accountants and bookkeepers, as well as also um, developers in our community as well who support us around robotics and automation and other programs that we work on on a daily, weekly and monthly basis. Awesome. I might actually tease that out of you a little bit a little bit later because I think that that, um, that robotics thing sounds quite interesting in the way that you work currently um, because you've got that background in software and how you integrate that as a team. That, that could be quite interesting. So we'll come to that a little bit later. So, I mean... It would be a bit remiss of me not to reflect on the last 12 months um, and the upheaval that's happened in the industry. Rebecca, let's start with you. What are the challenges that happened in 2020 that you think are going to bleed into 21 and continue? And what do practices need to be conscious of to continue that journey of self-improvement? Look, I think uh, it was it was a tough year for business in general. Bushfires hit in early Jan and then we were still reeling from that when COVID then came into play. I think one of the key things for me is that there'll be many different stages at which our businesses are now in recovery mode. Um, some may be flying they were able to pivot and get that really strong growth out of a business structural change or an industry change that's actually done them really well. You know, technology has been a big player in, in that space. You can you can see it by the share market. Um, but, but also for small businesses, it's also about having the ability to be able to have tough conversations when it does get hard for them. Because while you have some clients that are potentially growing, um, 2021 will be an exciting year for them to continue that growth. You may have other businesses who are really slowing or are getting to the end of the stimulus packages that were provided out of 2020 and really needing that additional support and hand-holding. Um, so for me, I think that will continue to be a challenge in 2020. Um, but I think having that advisory focus is really important when it comes back to separating the different client segments and their growth phase that they're operating at. Because um, everyone's different. Um, it's about channeling that conversation and making sure that you're getting out the best of each person's growth pattern at that time. I think it's a really important point that allocating that time to be able to have the one-on-one -on -one, um, conversations with clients about how they're doing and guiding them appropriately. But could I just ask you about that? How do you find the balance between 
finding the time as you're in your own practice to have those conversations when many of us have ramped up and increased the volume of work that we've got in 2020 and into 2021. What advice would you give to people who might say, well, I haven't got time to sit down with those clients? I, I agree fully. It's, it's one of the hardest things in a business to be able to allocate your time and resources, so not just your time but your team's time, um, into focused areas. For me, advisory is part of our offering. It is the way that we operate. Uh, so it's one of those things that we have built into our packages from day one of our service offering. But if it's not something you've previously provided, then one of the key things you can get started with is actually just having a conversation taking a five-minute phone call um, in the car, on your way to the office, on your way to the next job, having those conversations is is a start to advisory. I had a partner at, at one of the big fours who always said to me, a conversation is always going to be gold in your relationship with your client as an advisor. Um, never be afraid to pick up the phone. Um, and that is sometimes more important than sending an email um, with, you know, standard information being able to have that conversation can sometimes cut through when, you know, that growth and trajectory is so important to businesses at a really tough time. Not only are they experiencing um, tough times in their their business or in their professional world, they also have have things going on personally. Obviously, COVID has has put borders up. It's it's put restrictions on families and and other personal situations as well. So um, it's it's about being there for them and actually, you know, a five-minute conversation when you're in the car onto your next thing. um, it's, It's really about using those time points wisely and really cutting through the the tough conversations. Yeah, and I think it's the same for any business. We would all say that our long-term clients, the ones who have been with us for the longest or been the best clients are the ones you've got that connection with. And you're right, it doesn't start without um, a connection or a conversation um, building it from there. Um, Stuart, I want to talk to you about another thing that would be remiss of me mentioning, which is uh, massive changes to legislation, for example, that's affected the industry. Talk to me about your experience with the stimulus, that the impact that it's had on clients and practice practices and, and, and how that's going to feed into 2021. Yeah, look, I think similar to how we just, or Rebecca's eloquently described the impact it had on, on our businesses, uh, our clients' businesses, the impact it had on the profession as a whole, I don't think can be understated. Um, the the toll and the taxing toll are put on accountants and bookkeepers, particularly in, in late March and early April, as everyone sort of grappled with the concept of uh, firstly a pandemic, but secondly, the government's response to it, which, um, you know, came in patches and then sort of um, information drips and traps. I think uh, what I personally found was one of the most difficult challenges was being put in a position where basically as, as the advisor, you didn't necessarily have all the answers. Um, and I would say that's an unusual position. I think most of the time our clients seek information or advice from us and we do have that. Or if we don't have it to hand, we can generally research and find that answer relatively quickly. And we're not under the time pressures that, say, COVID provided. Here we were put in a situation where within a matter of days, it felt like maybe maybe a week, the whole economy had shifted on its head. Uh, businesses were being forced to shut down and, and there was talk of stimulus, there was talk of relief, but, you know, it was unclear as to what form and shape that would take. Um, and obviously, as things became a little bit clearer, it was still all, all, always done by announcements or press conferences and legislation was then to follow. And so I think advisors, accountants and bookkeepers, we were put in the middle of a situation where we were trying to interpret 
say the government's position, but not le- not legislated yet, and and trying to give clients our best indication of where things are have we're heading. But we we didn't want to give any firm guarantees and, and say this is what you will get or this is what you will be entitled to. So I, I certainly found that challenging. I'm sure the other panelists here will agree that that was really challenging. And then thrust that in with the fact that you know this came out of nowhere. Um, this wasn't put into our work schedule. I would say most accountants and bookkeepers uh, have pretty. Uh, locked in and hectic schedule as it is, regardless of a, a pandemic thrown in the middle, um, to try and input and insert this amount of um, communication and implementation in that relatively short space of time and continue that on for the rest of 2020. That's a huge challenge and hats off to the industry for getting through to, to 2021. Well, can I ask you about that? Because um, I think the whole question and the conversation around billable hours was a really tricky one and something that we all learned a great deal from. What did you learn in your firm about the concept and how, how what changed about billable hours and, and how did you roll that in? What were some of the practical elements that you did because of the legislation changes when it came to billing clients? Yeah, it's a good question. And, um, you know, as I said in the intro, we, we are largely a fixed billing service so that made the, the challenge for us at that time I would say a harder one to grapple um, we're, we're generally open to conversations with our client our, our model and um, our setup incentivizes and encourages communication but at that stage we were getting an amount of communication that you know basically we wouldn't um, couldn't deal with it, at least in the first couple of weeks. I remember the phone calls were from 6 to 30 in the morning until sort of 9 or 10 at night for, for days on end. Um, we weren't thinking about billing at the time. It was not front of mind for us. Um, it was about, at the time, it felt like it was going to be far worse than probably it ended up being. Um, but at that time, we were just trying to make sure that every client got through that next week and got through that next month. Um, the billing side of things came a bit later on when we could see that there was a ongoing service as part of JobKeeper for, for those that were eligible. So we, we managed to commoditize that down the track and offer a service to JobKeeper uh, ongoing administration, let's say. But outside of that, it, it certainly wasn't a billing exercise for us. But uh, on the flip side, it probably engaged us with our clients more than we've ever been. I mean, we've gone from having communications that might have been you know, monthly or bi-monthly or whatever it might have been to, you know, every week or every second day. And whilst the taxing toll on that time was was felt on us, it converted our relationships with our clients and such. We've managed to pick up a lot more ongoing advice work on the back of that because they can see the value of interacting with, with us and our team and I'm sure most other bookkeepers and accounts that have got their clients through this Yeah, it's absolutely been a growth phase for all of us in that regard, hasn't it? Kaya, I wanted to ask you, because you're very passionate about about technology and how technology can assist in in times like this. Again, uh, you having gone through a really massive change in 2020 as a practice. So what did you uh, do in terms of technology implementation? Did you change anything? Did you just, you know, refocus your efforts and, and nail down your processes and procedures? What did you do in 2020 that was different? Well, overall, like like Stuart and Rebecca already mentioned, the whole focus of last year was advisory. And that keyword has kind of run through years before, uh, but the really importance of it um, last year proved. So our number one focus um, for last year was to make time for it. Like, like Stuart says, we're operating in a busy enough environment. And the only way to actually make time to um, give that valuable 
um, advisory service is to implement technology um, for like more simple traditional tasks and um, which will obviously um, leave our time for services that machines can't do or technology can't do such as you know sharing insight between um um, how? What are the topic regulations, or or make it really clear and simple for the clients to understand? Because there's so much inform- information out there. Um, you know that simple phone call, like Rebecca mentioned as well, that was invaluable for clients or and or and Stuart as well. So I guess um, the biggest challenge um, for us was, and we obviously already had to implement a lot of technology already, was to make sure that um, we find the best technological solutions out there and even um, uh, streamline or implement it as soon as possible and stream our, our workflow even more than that. So um, um, I guess um, with the internal um, workflow planning solutions, we had them already set up. So that was great. And our shift to remote working was quite easy thanks to that. Um, we last, even the year before, we had our email management streamlined, um, which means that we didn't have to really have to spend too much time. Emails take a lot of our time as well. Um, and like all of our compliance lists um, and task managers were set up in Asana and Trello and so on. So we could actually have an overview of how things were going. Um, but I guess the new addition for us um, was Xavier. One of one of the um, tools, um, Savior Analytics, and not just to obviously improve the quality of work that we did, but um, again get some internal efficiencies within the team. So, for instance, it provides this um, overview analytical um, numbers of clients' average transaction volume, like you mentioned about pricing and billable hours and so on. We had to we're on fixed fee as well. We had to do a lot of changes on the pricing because we couldn't continue on charging the same amount of. Um, uh, fees for our clients who had really suffered on COVID. So Xavier, for instance, actually gave us uh, an average transaction volume for the last month and we could really fast um, change our pricing structure for them. So that was something that really helped um, us to to um, gain some internal efficiencies and not focus on, on doing that manual task as much as and give a little bit more focus on advisory. So in amongst all the changes, the craziness that was 2020, you actually took what would be, I imagine, quite a large, uh, it has quite a big impact as something like Xavier. When you were implementing it, because of 2020, did you do it faster? Did you follow the same process for technology implementation or uh, did it did it change your process to get it into your firm is what I'm asking? Yeah. Well, overall, what I like about nowadays technology and especially the, the marketplace that is targeting small, medium-sized businesses that all those technology developers, they have one keyword in mind, which is simple. So it means that the implementation itself should really be simple. It doesn't need a 10-page manual how to set it up and how to actually start using it. So um, it obviously requires a little bit of um research to make sure it's the right software for you or the right tool for you. But once you have it all set up and up and running, um, it is just the matter of using it. So with with the technology that we didn't have or with Xavier in particular, um, the tool itself is already built so simple that with the implementation itself didn't take too much of our day-to-day time and we didn't have to stop lodging passes for it. So uh, it was definitely giving us efficiencies and not that much investment in time. 
I mean, that's that's what I think is the biggest hurdle, isn't it? Is thinking to yourself, okay, I I I know I hear it's going to do good things, but what what's the time frame I need to do? Can I ask how many how many members of your team um, did you? We, I mean, I'm just curious myself. How many members of your team did you bring along the ride for the for the implementation of Xavier? Um, implementation, obviously, I did a quick research myself. Um, it was very simple to have a look and see. I already had a knowledge of, of competitors as well, but everyone in the team got involved. So I guess number number one thing for any kind of system implementation is to get everyone using it. So if you don't have the team involved in it, um, it's not going to um, be successful the implementation. So everyone from the team, we, we had a little bit of a competition going on who got the best um, score <laughs> on their client files. And that meant that the team had to go through the system in detail to make sure that they achieved that best result because obviously it ended up with a bit of prize as well. So everyone got involved um, and implemented fast and, and really well within couple of weeks we gave a deadline a couple of weeks to get it all done and that was it i love that idea of, of bringing a team on board through bribery just giving them <laughs> this episode of small biz matters is proudly sponsored by the australian small business and family enterprise ombudsman's office Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. I want to ask you about advisory services now because it is the big buzzword, has been for a few years. I mean, what does it what does it really mean from a practical perspective? Rebecca, you mentioned um, you know, the importance of picking up phone conversations. Is it more than that? Is it uh, how do you implement advisory in a firm that might not have been doing it previously, Rebecca? It's so interesting because I think it can be a whole spectrum. And I think Kai was right in saying that, you know, I think 2020 and the things that we've been through in the last year with our clients has really um, maybe made people step up and become a little bit more advisory focused. I think it was about, say, four or five, maybe six years ago um, at a roadshow or something like that, Stuart and I were discussing earlier um, that, you know, the advisory term really picked up in the cloud accounting space. And um, I really feel like now advisors are, are honing in on the advisory service space. Now, to me, advisory can be a, a full stream of services. It, it could be something that you just include, you know, um, support around technology, for example, could be considered advisory. Um, and then it could be right through to strategic uh, planning. Like we don't do tax in our business, um, 
but we do do strategic planning around operationally, how is your business operating today? What does your growth look like? Are your systems developed in a way um, and operating in a way that is going to allow for you to strategically meet those goals? So for me, advisories are a full stream of services. Um, Forecasting can be put in there. Um, Advice on technology can be put in there. Tax planning, um, strategic planning, um, business growth, but, but also we're, you know, going through a generational shift now. So there's a lot of that um, businesses being moved on from one generation to the other. And I'm from a small business. I'm, I'm actually going through that myself at the moment. Um, so moving from, from my mother um, as the, the core director in the business to myself, um, she's edging on retirement. She, she's moving out of the business. So there's a lot of businesses going through different types of experiences that require knowledge of bookkeepers and accountants who have either experienced this before or have knowledge of the best possible way to go about these different scenarios. I think in a way advisory can be um, moulded into very different ways but all firms need to find a way that is suitable for them and plays into their strength. So our advisory is around technology and that is our strength Um, and you know we work with other partners who have advisory strength in for example tax planning or retirement planning or forecasting or other bits and pieces that are in particular that person's speciality. I think um, a client or a business comes to an advisor for advice because they're in a pickle or they're just not quite sure where to source that information and a lot of the time we can provide that information and be the source um, of advisory. So really I think it's, it's Sorry, that's what you meant earlier when you talked about working with contractors and kind of partnering with other platforms or programs. Right, okay. Yeah, so um, we, you know, yes, we are a bookkeeping firm at Han and, and yes, we still do provide vast services, um, but predominantly we're in the technology space now, so providing design and implementation of technology. Um, so we work with other bookkeepers and other accountants, other financial planners um, around different solutions depending on who we are working with and, and what that, you know, business or personal dream is of the client um, so that they can get to achieve their, their particular goals. I like what you were saying there about it's almost as though you're niching your advisory. You're really working out what your strengths are and you're delivering those and saying, look, this is where our strengths lie. And I hadn't even thought of things like, um, you know, software advice. That can be a a type of advisory as well. That's that's really interesting. Um, How have you implemented change in your business, Stuart, and and? How do you, going back to that that notion of commoditizing it, um, has the format changed for commoditizing uh, advisory, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, most definitely. I think to, to further elaborate on, on sort of what Rebecca just touched on there, I think that the buzzword of advisory is, is both uh, useful and annoying at the same time, useful in describing a service that's sort of not your compliance-based or traditional BAS or accounting-based service, but also annoying in that it's very nondescript. Um, advice can mean a whole bunch of different things to different people and can be delivered in a whole bunch of different modes or formats. And this this notion that advice is new is, is probably mischaracterising the nature of what accounts have done. I think it's just the delivery of advice that's changed. Um, it, 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 I think certainly more more 
commonly the, the term advisory services is about how do you commoditize or monetize a service where you do provide advice regularly, routinely, and how do you charge for that? And I think coupled with that is the, is the method in which you use to deliver that service and what technology help implement and process drive the advice service. So I think from that perspective, the industry is coming a long way in recent years through the advent of different technologies to deliver the services. I mean, just a simplistic example, we're on a webinar right now. It's probably one of the more common, if not the most common, modes of delivering our advice now in the COVID world. Um, it, you know, just by the mere factor of having things like Zoom, by having things like on online software, uh, cloud-based software, we're in a position now where we can deliver a service that we never would have been able to deliver, say, 10 years ago. Uh, and so then trying to work out, well, how do we deliver an advice-based service? And that, to, to, to us and in our firm, it's really about understanding the technology suite that will support the, the person at the end of the day that will deliver advice because it, really advice is only as good So it relies on someone having the know-how, the skills and the communication ability to interpret, analyse and, and basically um, understand data that's relevant to a client's needs. And so keeping your, your technology stack, um, I think, really lean and, and limited to what you do need actually helps you deliver a better service. You, yes, you could have 15 or 20 different apps to represent something graphically or to produce a forecast or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, you want something that supports you as the individual that's delivering the communication, explain, extrapolate, um, diagram, whatever you want to call it, the information that's trying to be digested by your client. Uh, and so I think from, from our firm's perspective, we try to pick out our core stack of technology software that we stick with and only really bringing in external software outside of that if it's really relevant to the client's circumstances. I think that's meant that we, we know what we're doing, we do it well, uh, and we're really good at sort of replicating that over and over. So it sounds to me what you're saying is that the technology is the foundation of a part, uh, almost a foundation of advisory, but you need to make sure you really know, um, you know, applications that are going to support your clients in their journey and know the client as well. But... That's, do you think that's where um, the evolution of advisory is happening, that it's becoming more and more about how to teach the clients how to utilise the software? I think that's part of it. I think the advisor, the person that's delivering the service, also needs to know how to use the software intuitively. Um, I think there's nothing worse than seeing sort of repetitive um, printouts from reports from software that, that really are generated over and over and routinely. I think it's about being able to provide something that's different in the market, that's unique to both the industry and the client specific. Because I think the more this service becomes commoditized and monetized amongst the industry, the easier it's going to be to sort of say, hang on, you're just producing another report that someone else has produced. I think it's important that the technology is there to, as I said, enhance or articulate your points. But really it's about how you end up communicating that and making sure that your advice as closely as possible can be tailored to your client's needs. Yeah, it still comes down to what your client needs and you're not sort of regurgitating reports that look the same for everyone and just trying to explain it to them when it's not really tailored to that specific client. Just to add to that, Alexi, I think as well, you know, the industry has gone a long path of trying to, as much as possible, automate and commoditize the compliance services into some sort of efficient process. I think where we, we got caught out is going to try and do that too far on the advice-based service and not, not appreciating that advice is quite very nature tailored to a client. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had an excellent question come into the chat, actually. Um, Liam's asked, outside of Zero, what's the most utilised software in your firm? And I think that that's 
tying in quite nicely to what we're talking about. I'll come back to um, Stuart and Rebecca in a moment, but Kaya, let's just start talk a little bit about that advisory implementation and the software that you utilise. Um, what's the most utilised software in your firm apart from Zero? It's a really good one, actually, um, because I was just thinking about what would be number one that I couldn't live without, and I guess I'm going against Stuart in that regard that I've got so many different software tools, tools set up for myself and for the team that um, I find that everyone is useful, <laughs> everything is useful in certain way. But I think number one thing with any kind of software technology solution to look into is what is taking maturity of a time, and now how could you actually um, reduce that time by 50%, for instance. So number one thing, I guess, um, let's say that if you're still processing something manually um, or doing your client's bills processing and you're doing that all manually, it's taking maturity every day, just implement receipt bank and get, get over with that. If you are um, spending a lot of time with business development, sending out proposals, quotes, um, and, and obviously your role is different, um, then think of a, of a solution that will help you with that, which I mentioned earlier as well was Xavier. That was something that I do day to day and that helped um, to save my time. Or for instance, um, Quilla is another software tool that we use for proposals just because we do all those proposals. And if they don't look nice, um, it might be that your client's not going to accept it because, you know, it just looks average, whereas Quilla kind of makes it look really, really nice. So all your, the work that you put into to actually get it out um, might result in a new client. Um, so there's there's a lot out there. I think the number one focus should be what is taking maturity of time and make sure that you implement some sort of tool for, for that. And so from a practical perspective, would you say getting all of your staff and everybody to actually notate their time and what they're spending the most time on, analysing that and then finding a solution? Um, that's actually exactly what we do, to be honest. So we do, if, if we don't have an overview of what we spend our time on, which we obviously we do track all our, our time recordings and everything, and that's part of, even though we have the same fixed fee um, proposal and everything, if we don't really know what we are lagging behind or going over time, um, then we can't really target that issue or, or make it more efficient. So I guess one of the key things for a lot of bookkeeping practices and accounting practices as well is to have a good workflow planning system and time recording. Um, Could I ask you what, what do you use for timekeeping and what do you use for workflow? Because I think that that's probably a, a next concept, question that might come out of the chat. Yeah, sure. So um, technically the same thing. Um, we use Workflow Max, which is practice manager. I think the zero, um, zero um, software as well. Um, so that's that can be all automated and, and set up and recurring jobs and everything. And obviously on a task level, we actually record time. And, and once you get that on hand, you know that you're processing sales invoices, takes you that amount of time or bills, you know, exactly. Or client communication, that's something that we, same way as Rebecca, uh, we actually allocate time for it, making sure we that's our key thing, actually, that we um, help our clients with. So to see if that takes a lot of time, well, we're happy to actually spend that time on it because, like I said, it's a value-added service rather than typing in numbers um, to, to, on a bill, uh, which is not really that smart. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, for, and for the actual time, um, like to, to quantify the time you're spending on things, is there a piece of software that you use or is it rolled into Workflow Max? 
Yeah, so the, the actual um, yeah time recording system is the Workflow Max um, and all, all our workflow as such is in there as well, what we're working on. Obviously, do have an additional software where we have um, all our tasks and compliance lists to make sure that we've, I've got a good overview of what's going on and no one really misses anything because like, we know everyone has 52 how many ever clients we've got um, to manage in your practice and you can easily forget a supernation payment um, if you haven't marked it off as done. So we use the SANA for it. Um, Trello is another system that could be used and you can automate that and have that popping up every single month or every single quarter, making sure that client has a correct tab uh, assigned to it saying hasn't been paid um, so you don't really miss the thing. And same thing, obviously very efficient and good overview for whoever is actually managing the practice as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear all the different apps and how they overlap or how they complement one another and how you're actually using it in a practical way. So thank you for sharing that, some good insider knowledge. Um, let's go to the implementation of tech. Um, and I want to bring in the conversation about advisory as well. Um, let's just go to you, Rebecca. I mean, you're listening as the owner of a smaller firm. So what do you suggest to smaller firms who may not have, uh, you know, the, the people power to be able to implement research, look at doing tech, factor that time in and all those, all the people power that comes with, you know, implementing new tech. What would you do to if you're a smaller firm and you need to try something new? Anyone who knows me really well knows that I love to break software. I'm actually out to use 105% of the software platform wherever possible. Um, I really, really believe in trying to make the most. Um, and I'll probably sit between Stuart and Kaya in, in my theory around what tech we should be you know, having as a firm, and particularly a small firm, where we can't really designate champions. Um, in our firm, the way that we adopt uh, technology is normally centrally around a little bit like Kaya, identifying an issue um, that could be a pain point, a bottleneck. Now, what is it that's not getting done or what's getting done but taking too much time or what simply just doesn't feel right in the business? And we have a really open book policy around that. Um, then from there, it's actually looking at solutions that are on the market and really testing and trying to that 110% of the offering. So while we are small, we actually use zero projects for our time keeping. It does a beautiful job for us. Uh, we use it in conjunction with Xavier for our workflow management and our reminders, which is also awesome. Um, but overall, we have really just um, tried and tested every, every, every single solution to the nth degree uh, when it comes to our own business. And then when it comes to our clients, either looking at the solutions that we are operating on is a really good way um, you know, to know, to walk the walk, talk the talk kind of situation. Um, and then we have specific niches that we work in. So um, specifically our business is, is working with franchise networks, um, predominantly also working in the e-commerce space, so uh, a mixture of online and bricks and mortar retail, um, and then also working in the professional space, um, so working with legal practitioners um, as well. So we've kind of got a niche uh, in those software where we have a broad spectrum understanding of what the offerings are in the market, and then we can pick and choose when we go through our deep dive uh, with each of our clients when we're looking at a software recommendation piece in particular. So uh, I'm curious to know, did you did you break Receipt Bank and Xavier? And if so, how? <laughs> oh, 
I got pretty close to breaking Xavier, but in a good way. Um, and that's actually, I, I was one of the early adopters around um, different things, but repeating, like repeating workflows for me was just an absolute eye-opener. Made me so, so happy um, because that's what I was doing in Trello. And I was actually using the, the Power Up hack. And I had to do a few tweaks around zero projects and the Trello Power Up app. But we've got to the point now that we can actually move Trello out of our stack um, and we can just use zero projects um, and, and Xavier. So we've been pretty happy um, with, with what we've done to date. We keep a lot of our client communications. But you're bringing Sorry. down the numbers of, of, of apps because you can. it's almost a replication process. Correct. Yeah, and it, look, it's it's not always it, it's not always a hundred percent going to be the case. Um, for me, I still love certain things about Trello. I still keep my shopping list in Trello and things like that um, for home. But um, one of the key things for me is about you know every time you have to open up an app and log into another app, it's one more thing that you're adding into your day. So we've really kind of hacked the client section, and we keep all of our notes and records and information in there. Um, a lot of our data previously was kept in Trello um, and it's been moved across. So I think for me, it might not be suitable for everyone, um, but you, you kind of sometimes it's better taking a 10% hit in one software and just trying to, to work with it than to try and go and have a whole other software that, you know, does something similar, maybe better and probably better in most circumstances, but it's maybe not facilitating the whole scenario that you're looking at a solution for. And we find it all the time with clients you know they come to us and they've got 17 different systems and we you know have to go no 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 let's refine it down let's think about what's really important to you because technology is a fantastic tool and resource in a business but it can also be incredibly distracting and you just don't want the distraction to take over um, you know the benefits of using technology in the business. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good point. Of course, all of our brains went to Facebook and to Twitter. Uh, but, yeah, and what, what are the benefits versus the distractions? It's really important because you can get sort of boggled down in the making it look pretty uh, and making it work, just tweaking a few different pieces and before you know it, two hours is gone. <laughs> yeah. But I like the idea of breaking something. I like the idea of pushing it to the extreme and that that is part of your process when implementing a piece of tech. Yeah, for sure, and and I'm I'm one. I can't I can't say that I don't do it with Simola software because I use Loom and I use Snagit, but I use them for different things in my world, and I, I keep them separate. I feel like they've got separate use cases, so there's there'll be sometimes you use one and sometimes you won't use the other. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I think you just got to try and break it, um, and then you know work out is it worth having that second tool to support the need in the business. And for the people who are listening who don't know what Loom and Snagit mean, uh, yeah. what are the two tools, what are you using for? Uh, so our business, we do a lot of support, a remote support particularly, a lot of email-based, you know, got a quick question type stuff. Um, and we find the best way to communicate with our clients is through video. Um, so rather than writing out a long email or sending through instructions or other bits and pieces, actually logging into a software solution, recording our screen, recording our voice, talking them through the issue. Um, both software solutions uh, work in the space of video recording. 
um, uh, for, for Loom, great for short videos. I love it because it connects through my Gmail and I send it straight out. But we also have an educational series that we produce for our franchise businesses whereby we're, you know, doing long format video, which Loom is just not suitable for. Um, so both solutions are effectively for recording uh, videos on your computer. Awesome. Okay, thanks for that. Um, Stuart, I want to know about how you implement tech, but also with thinking about the, the changes and advisory space and what's all happened in the last 12 months. Uh, has it changed your approach to tech and the way that you implemented it in your firm and for your clients? Uh, the 12 months hasn't. Um, yes, it's been harder to find the time, but if anything, it's probably driven us to just continue further to, to, to go down the technology path. Obviously, having been set up on the right technologies got us through this last 12 months. And I think going forward, technology is not going to be reducing part of our, our job descriptions. If anything, it's going to enhance. So we can't get off that train just because we're, we're busy or tied up. Um, I think it's more important to roll out technology uh, than ever. I think, as Rebecca just indicated, I, I think for us it's a bit of a bit more of a simplification approach now. Um, I know in the early days it was every new app, every new thing was the next best thing that we could have. Um, and I think as we've grown as a firm in both the size of our clients and the size of our staff, we've learned that there's some um, inherent efficiencies by, by simplifying the stack where possible. Um, I think if I look back to our early days when there was sort of only three or four of us, it was much easier to go, yeah, this is the new app, let's implement it, have a quick chat and let's all run with it. When you're starting to roll out new technology for a team of 10, 15, 20, 25, 50, 100, it becomes a much harder exercise to say, A, why are we doing this? What's the what's the reason for the change? B, how does it interact with the other technology we use? How does it interact with my, my job as a day-to-day person? And then you're also dealing with different personalities, different people, potentially in different age brackets, different locations that will have challenges to um, new technology. So for us, it's about getting that healthy balance between always looking for emerging technology, but keeping it within a, a sort of a rounded technology stack that's, I guess, complementary with, with each other without becoming a distraction, as Rebecca indicated. Um, in terms of implementation, we've always taken the approach of a champion um, or champion team. Um, I think, again, due to the size that we're getting to now, it's impossible to have for us 15 or 18 people use software from, from the scratch to, to test it. We try and get a core group of four or five people so that any one person is not overloaded with a new piece of technology at any given time, given we're probably running three, four, five, six different rollouts at any given time of year. Um, that spreads the load around for everyone, allows those core people to have enough a test starter to give feedback and also to get a critical mass to say, hey, yeah, this is the right decision. Let's all get on board with it. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for that fantastic Receipt Bank panel. We've run out of time here on Triple H 100.1 FM, but remember, you can listen to that in full via the Receipt Bank uh, website. Keep an eye on that if you are in the accounting and bookkeeping world. I highly recommend to listening to that interview in full. There's some great gems. But we've run out of time here at Triple H. I want to thank you very much for joining me here on this uh, public holiday, 26th of January 2021. And I look forward to another great guest next week here on Small Biz Matters. Remember, if you've missed any of today's show, you can, of course, catch up via the app. Well, I don't have an app. Via the website, smallbizmatters.com.au. Or you can catch up via iTunes and Spotify where you can listen to over 190 podcasts in full that are there to help you grow your business and educate you in your small business journey. My name's been Alexi Boyd. I'll see you all next week. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. 
If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time. Thank you.